Along the way, uh, when you think you've experienced everything you know there is to experience being 77 years old, but I'm going on 50. <laughs> 50 is a new 30. If you're into common core math, I'm 21. <laughs> Actually, 19, I never developed out of my teen years. But I can tell you that life is never ending with surprises. And along the way, uh, my spouse passed away. My late wife died three years ago, and uh, I thought, well, that's the end of my life. I probably will just fade away, ride off gently into the night. And then I met a girl. And you know what really messes with your mind when you meet a girl? <laughs> I don't care what age you are, I met this girl. And she stole my heart. Her husband gave his life on the field of battle. And she is my rock star. Would you welcome Dr. Beth Ann? Baby, come up here. She's been introduced to a whole new world. She met me, let me tell you that. And uh, she's a lot younger, but she's doing her best to keep up. <laughs> and I've got to tell you, I love this woman. And uh, we have a lot to offer in ministry together because uh, we both have experienced loss for our country. And uh, I tell you, she lost a lot more than that. She's a Marine. She is an Air Force Gold Star wife. And she's now on the evangelistic field. Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> Baby, why don't you take a minute and say hi to everybody. You're going to do that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just to expound a little bit off of what he just said, yes, I, my late husband passed 18 years ago. Um, but he, he was also my second husband. My first husband passed as well. So um, both in tragedies. It was a long haul for me. I got lost. <laughs> um, but then I met Jesus and I got found. <laughs> but I just want to tell you that when you're struggling, I know there's people out there struggling right now. Um, you're not going to find him in the storm, just as scripture says. You're not going to find him in the wind. Be still, and you'll hear the stillness. You'll hear his voice in the stillness. But you have to be still. That's the only way you're going to hear him. You have to get on bended knee and open up that Bible because that is the answer to life. That's how I found him. I struggled for so long. I'm going to say a good 10 years. I'm ashamed to say that, but it was a good long time. You know why? Because I was going to people. And it's not the people that are going to help me. It's God. It's Jesus. And um, you know, when you go to people, you're going to end up in the Wizard of Oz with the Scarecrow. Where do you go? But when you open up that Bible, you know which way to go. If you're struggling, if you can't hear him, don't be discouraged. Be like King David. He was his own encourager. I learned from King David because everywhere I went, Every corner that I turned, I was running into somebody steering me in the wrong direction. But I want to let you know that God is not going to do that. <laughs> He's got a greater plan for you. And there is a plan. God will not leave you astray. He will be with you wherever you go. So I just want to say, your hope is in Jesus. <laughs> And as I said earlier, get on bended knee and open up your Bible because that's where you're going to find him. Stay with me, Dave. And just so you get a little more of the picture, her husband was a U-2 pilot. You know, the airplane that flies on the stratosphere, 
75,000 feet. So it's kind of like uh, Pastor and his wife after they were injured, he, they were high. <laughs> that's why you that's why you come to the rock church and get rocked instead of the stone church and get stoned. And, uh, but this woman has taught me so much. Uh, her patience has been amazing. He gave his life, and this is a fact, and there's only so much can be said about this because it's a secret aircraft. But to preserve the information, he gave his life that saved countless American lives because what he had pictures of and knowledge of that he gave his life to preserve was a buildup of al-Qaeda or enemy troops on the border with uh, Afghanistan, and he saved lives. There's someone else I heard about that gave his life to save others. We call them heroes. I can hardly speak of her late husband without tears because to me he's an icon and a hero and always will be. And it's the kind of people like that that are lost in this world of identity seekers that don't even know what freedom is or the price to pay for it. I wish the whole world knew the story of Major Dwayne Dively. But one day... They will. Baby, stay. If you, can I mention a little bit of business with you before we leave? Uh, I have some books if you like to color. <laughs> that was funny, baby. It's called, <laughs> it's called Forged in Fire. It's my latest book. I had it with me last visit. It is the story of our family pre-knowing Dr. Beth. Uh, it's the story of how my injury and my, we didn't know what to call it. We didn't know to call it post-traumatic stress disorder. That's a long term. We just call it sick in the head. And uh, he's crazy. Well, there was a lot of things that I didn't understand were happening in my mind because the retina of my memory could not erase the pictures and the memories and the deeds of war. This book will show you how my family was affected. My children were born after my injury, which, by the way, the doctor told me I'd never father a child because uh, my burns would totally eliminate my ability to to spawn children. Well, I have two kids. They're mine, too. They have plastic ears, hairpiece. <laughs> and they don't look like the mailman. So, they're mine. This book, Humor, Heartbreak, and the Story of Dan Dang is in there. You'll love the book if you don't have it already. Be sure and get one. Also, there's a companion book that goes with it that extracts the best of the best. This is a devotional that goes with that book. It'll be a huge blessing to you. And then quickly, another one called Scarred, Autobiography, from my childhood, how God put his hand on my life whenever I was born. My mom almost died, never did recover, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But I got to tell you, from childhood to the, from, from the cradle to the grave, they say, God's got a plan for your life. And that book will show you my work with Department of Defense today as a contractor and a resiliency trainer in the Comprehensive Soldier Fitness Program, how God uses that through my experience in war to help other military all over the world. This book will blow your mind. shows all the work we do in the Middle East with our uh, troops. And then another book that is a spiritual journey. It's called, um, it's called <laughs> War and Recovery. I, I wrote the book. I think I remember the name of it. Uh, but it's stories from the battlefield to the mission field. And every story has a scriptural foundation that translates it from a war scene to a home scene, from tragedy to triumph. You don't have to go to war to get hurt. I went to war, got hurt, came home with a purple heart. Some of you went to divorce court and got hurt, came home with a broken heart and a broken washer, and the dryer got, and the ex got the dryer. This life's not fair, and that, that book will deal with that. One more book quickly, probably the most famous book I'll ever be known for writing, The Magic Fountain. It's a story of three old hags in their search for riches. I tried to write it in C.S. Lewis, Lewis style, and you will love the story. And what these old hags look for and what they find when they find the king's son on a white horse, and you will really like it when you come to the end and find out which hag you are. <laughs> their names are hag number one, hag number two, and Mary Louise. No, I'm kidding. And hag number three. When you read this story, all the pictures in there are hand-drawn. Nothing is computer-generated. It'll be an heirloom for your family forever. I think you'll enjoy it. And then last and possibly most importantly, we are never going to let this nation forget 
our first responders, and our law enforcement keeping us safe today. We have this flag to honor them both. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. And we also have one with a thin, thin green line for our Border Patrol and for our military in green. These flags are back there. All, can you say all? 100% proceeds. I take no royalties, no sales percentages. It all goes to scholarship. Our magnificent warriors who have given so much, our first responders who are given so little in gratitude, we owe them. This is our way of saying thank you to them. And also, when you purchase these, it supports our ministry to them. Let me tell you, just the other day, just uh, two weeks ago, I was with the Border Patrol down in South Texas. You can have all kinds of opinions. None of it is going to be the truth through our media today. None of it. None of it. I just spent time down there, and they're committing suicide. Our men and women in green down there are taking their life because they're giving everything they've got, trying to preserve the, this, the integrity of our security in this country, and they're getting nothing from our government back but headache. And I'm telling you, God sent me to the right people, the right time, the right place, I pray to God the suicides have stopped. They are so excited. They invited me right back again, so we're going down again. We're not going to let those people feel like no one cares. We love all those that secure our nation. God bless our military first responders and the Border Patrol. Let's give them all a big hand. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. There's so much I want to say and so little time to say it. I sound like a movie. I'm going to take I'm going to take the next 35 minutes and share my heart with you about something that I hope to God will be appropriate for every one of you in this room. No exceptions. Every soul in the sound of my voice should be impacted, not because I'm saying it, but because who I'm repeating. I want to speak to you from what God has spoken into my heart. And if I succeed in my mission today, we'll be a more secure people. Not just safety. I'm not talking about politics here, buddy. I'm talking about eternity. How is it between you and God? Some of you I've never met. I didn't get to turn around and see who raised their hands for one or the other. But here's the facts. I'm here today on a divine mission. I'm not here today because I'm special. You're as important in this rendezvous made in heaven as I am. We're together in this. God just handed me the microphone and said, here's what I want you to say. I want to speak my heart. First, I want to say thank you to Pastor and his beautiful wife for being so accommodating. We came in last night and had to take a different route because the bridge was shut down by people that have lost their way and got to the bridge and didn't know where to go. Because I'm going to tell you something. We will never turn our back on Israel. You curse Israel, God will curse you. You bless Israel, God will bless you. And I'm telling you today that our coming in here last night, getting in late, we were accommodated in Pastor and his wife's home for dinner. I'm going for lunch today to that same house. I like it a lot. But so thank you, Pastor, for letting me speak without restriction. You did not prescribe what I had to say today. You handed me the mic and you trusted me. I do not want to ever abuse that trust. But I'm going to speak to you about do you really know who you are in Christ? Everybody says, well, I want to be all that I can be in Christ, and that's perfect. There's not, there's not a better way to say it. There is another way to say it, though. I want Christ to be all that he can be in me. See, I'm the vessel he fills. I don't fill his vessel. He fills this vessel, and we are one in him. And we're presented to God the Father through Christ as joint heirs, not as gods, but as sons and daughters of the Most High. We are joint heirs with Jesus. Now, let that soak in a minute. What does it mean to be a joint heir? That means we receive the same blessings from God that Jesus did. Jesus even said, greater works than these shall you do because I go to be with the Father. How do you, what's greater than raising the dead? Raise two dead. What's worse than a tornado? You folks know. Two tornadoes. How do you have greater when there's nothing greater than, say, raising the dead? You raise more dead. Because today, he's not here in one body. Today, he's here in many bodies as one. So I want us to understand what it truly means to be born again. 
when, when Jesus said to the priest, you must be born again, when he said to other people like the lady at the well, when you drink of this water, you'll never have thirsty. And what's he talking about? Talking about a divine relationship with God through himself, Christ. Jesus said, I in them and thou in me. It takes Jesus to put God back in man. And without God, we are not man. I'm talking about mankind, not gender. We are not man without God because he made us in three parts, right? Man the body, man the soul, man the spirit. An identical reflection of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Now, we are not created in his image physically because that could not be possible. A woman is made different from a man. And viva la diferencia. I love the difference. I don't like this idea of being one or the other, and then if you don't like it, swap. No, not, not in this world. So here's, here, here's my opinion. When man sinned, he spiritually died and became a two-part harmony instead of a three-part harmony. Everybody knows three-part harmony is much more beautiful than two-part. So when man the body and man the soul were abandoned from the spirit because sin, wages of it is death, then the spirit man died. Did the body die? Well, not right then, but it started the death process. Adam lived to be, what, 540, whatever years old, I've forgotten. And yet he died one day. If he had never sinned, he'd be here hearing me talk about this message, but it'd be a different message because sin would not have come into the world or somebody would have thought a way to do it. And, and so I'm going to tell you that if you do not know Christ in the spiritual sense, when Jesus said, well, the day's coming now is when we, those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If you are not born again, you can't worship in spirit because you're spiritually dead. You must be born again to be able to worship God in the three-part harmony we're made in. So if we're less than what we were made, then we're not man. So it takes God to be a man. Say amen. amen. Not a woman. Amen. <laughs> it's a bad joke. Just thought of it, so I won't do that one again. I can see that. Uh, so when we sin, we're separated from God. Now, here's the facts, folks. You don't have to sin. You were born in it. I was born in it. We are born in sin. The Bible speaks of Adam and Eve having children. The Bible says Adam and Eve were created. God said, let us make man in our own likeness and in our own image. Man the body, man the soul, man the spirit, in the image of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. When man sinned, the children of Adam were born in the likeness of their father, Adam. It doesn't say born in the likeness of God because they were born. They weren't created. You and I were not created. We were born. Your mom and dad, my mom and dad, we, they got together and did something. And, and out pops you and me. I mean, we were made. Yes, we were created vicariously through Adam and Eve, but we were made. The children, this is the identical word of God, the children of Adam and Eve were born in the likeness of their father, Adam, not God. What is that likeness? The father of, of the children of Adam were, was Adam, and he had body and soul but no living spirit. So they were born in sin with a living soul and a living body but not a living spirit. And so God in his forecast, now listen carefully so we don't get confused, in his forecast of a Jesus who would die for all mankind prepared the world through what was called animal sacrifice. And without the shedding of blood, there is what? No remission. Boy, some of you know your scriptures. Without bloodshed. What is blood? Why is it blood? Why not shedding of a finger? Why not shedding of an arm? You can live without an arm or a leg, but you can't live without blood. The life is in the blood, the Bible says. So without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. So to prepare the world one day for the Jesus who would die for everyone's sin, he showed how that on an annual basis there would be a sacrifice for sin by the Israeli or the Israelites, as they were then called. And 900,000 of them, it's estimated, would gather on the hillside for the annual sin offering when Moses and Aaron would go into the Holy of Holies and make a presentation for sin for all the people. And when they stepped out and raised their hand and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared and the people fell on their faces, the Bible says, and they worshiped because for one year, 365 and a quarter days, they were sin-free. 
then they had to start all over again the next year. Boy, that's the pitch. That's like going through rehab for druggies. Every year they have to try it again until someday something happens that transforms, clicks, and gets into the mind. I don't have to keep doing this because I can beat the system. And you beat the system of sin through the shedding of blood, not of bulls or goats or animals, but the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God. And when he shed his blood, there's no more annual sacrifice for sin. Today we're born again for the rest of our lives. Uh, last time I was here, I was allergic to the carpet. It makes my eyes water up. Y'all have changed this carpet out. Oh, my God. I hope I, I hope I said that in a way that you understand what it means for Christ to die for us. Because until we're born again, spiritually, we're born in sin. We have to be born again of the spirit, not of the flesh. And when we're born again, we transform the world. So let's talk about being born again because... It's important, now listen very carefully, it's important for you to understand what it is to be born again, who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you, because the day is coming when you will be challenged beyond all of your human capabilities to resist, and you need God in your life, and you need him more now as the man, gentlemen, stood here a while ago and prayed, oh brother, where art thou, wherever you are? You are led on by the Spirit of God when you say we need him now more than ever. Our world, not just our nation. Our nation just one of, what, a hundred and something nations? Let me tell you something, folks. We as humanity on this planet need Jesus now because guess who's coming soon? You need a second guess? Guess who's coming soon? Jesus is coming soon. And if you're not ready, I want to help you get there today because we will be tested beyond anything we've ever known. And I want to talk about that personal, personal being tested. What does that mean? I'll get real personal about my story in a moment because if I did not have Christ, if Beth Ann did not have Christ in her life, at the time that she found Jesus, it was either go the route to hell or the route to heaven. There was no, well, I'll wait another to another day. Like uh, Agrippa said, Almost, he said to Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost is not good enough, folks. She had to make the decision. I had to make the decision. So do you. I made my decision to follow Christ at five years old. I was a rotten, good-for-nothing sinner. I didn't even know what sin was at five years old. At 16, 11 years later, I met girls. Then I found out what sin was. Oh, Lord, I had to really do a lot of repenting because I understood what I did not know at five years old, now I understood at 16. That was my coming out to understanding the difference in right and wrong, sin, and being set free from it. And I asked Christ in my heart at 16, and Jesus came into my life. And the test of that moment would be one of the greatest tests of my lifetime on the bank of a river in Vietnam, 1969. Yes, teenagers, I know, that's right after the War of 1812 little snot. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. <laughs> so I'm going to take you down a road of understanding. You see, in Vietnam, I'd already come to know Christ. I was a Bible college student studying for ministry. As Pastor mentioned, I had exemptions. I didn't have to serve. And the reason I ended up serving was because a news broadcast on the morning I woke up to a news awakening on my alarm. said a Marine was killed in the DMZ and in my REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, psychologically, that's when you dream the most. And what you hear goes directly into your mind and it starts to play in a dream. And your eyes move rapidly under your eyelids because the dream is in hyper speed, but you're translating it in normal time. Am I making sense? Oh, kind of, Dave. Well, do your best to stay with me. I was in REM sleep. I was hearing the story of a Marine being killed in Vietnam. I was translating it extrapolating that story into my own existence in a dream. I was walking through a jungle. I came upon a dead Marine. I rolled his body over, and in my dream, it was so shocking, I jumped so violently, I fell completely out of the bed and landed on the floor. My little teenage wife looked over me, and she said, Are you all right? I said, Yeah. She said, You fell out of bed. I said, I know. She said, she said Did you hurt yourself? I said, No. She said, Well, what happened? I said, 
I'm going to go take my physical. I, I was being drafted. I said, I'm going to go take my physical. I will not come back a civilian. She said, don't do that. You will come back a civilian. I said, no, I won't. She said, don't do that to us, Davey. You've got your exemptions. Please don't do that to us. I said, I can't help it. You see, when I rolled that body over, I looked down in that helmet. It was my face. I saw looking back up at me. And I knew I had to take someone's place who died for me. I had to carry on the mission. I don't know if that makes sense to you. And my life was changed by a news broadcaster that day, and I don't even know his name. When he told that story, it so transformed my life that whatever the cost was, I was willing to pay it because I owed somebody my very life that day. He died for me. Now you're starting to get the picture. Someone gave his life for me. I owe my life back to him. He didn't die with a helmet on. He died with a crown of thorns on. His robe was not camouflaged. It was a seamless robe. And they gambled it at the foot of the cross he died on. I owe him my life. And I will not cease until I have given the last ounce of energy, strength, heartbeat, breath, and love to the Son of God who gave himself for me. And that's it. I ended up in the United States military in the Navy because I didn't want to go in the Army because I was afraid they'd hurt me. <laughs> so I got up one morning and had a bad decade. And I ended up in the military, U.S. Navy Special Operations Command. I was assigned to SEAL Team 1, but I was not a Navy SEAL. I was a smaller group with the highest killed in action in the history of the war. It was called the Brownwater Black Beret. And I drove the fast boats and went to war with SEALs. And I almost died there that day on July when a sniper shooting at my head missed. I guess he was shooting at my head because that's where the bullet was headed because my hand got in the way. And I was holding a white phosphorus hand grenade. And the bullet hit the grenade, compromised the casing, and when air hits white phosphorus, it spontaneously explodes. And in seconds, 60 pounds of my flesh was taken off my body. I kept both arms and legs. And uh, it would scar me internally more than I ever dreamed. And even to this very day, to this morning, sitting here talking to you, many of those scars are still being discovered. It doesn't go away with time. Sometimes it gets worse with time. My total existence is dependent upon my relationship with Jesus Christ because without that, I wouldn't be here. Even if I had survived on my own, I would not have survived the years that have followed because I became very, very suicidal and on many occasions would have taken my life without God's intervention. I'll get to that in a moment. But I grew up around suffering. You see, when I talked about the things in life that are yet to come that we may not be prepared for if you're not right with God. Now you're really going to find out. When things come under pressure, you know, the Bible says uh, the prayers of a righteous man, uh, the prayers of the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. That translates to be the earnest, intense prayer of a righteous person, listen to this, brings much pressure to bear on the subject. That's what it means to bring much pressure to bear on the subject. we got a lot of pressure to bear on the subject coming up. And if your relationship with Christ isn't real, it's not going to stand the test. I was years ago in Illinois speaking for a youth convention, and it, there were about 2,500 kids there. It's a Christian event. It's a district-wide event for the state of Illinois, as I said. And the director got up and said, now in the afternoon session, we have a very special guest, Sandy Patty will be here. And the crowd went nuts. They went absolute crazy. They were screaming and carrying on and clapping and cheering and whistling and jumping up and down. And I'm thinking, ooh, man, I, I like to have a reception like that. I didn't know Sandy Patty was coming. I would have waited till after she spoke because then 
because I'm better looking. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> bad, bad joke again. You know what it was? Every seat in the front was filled first. I mean, they filled from the front row. They were sitting on the ground in front of the front row. Some of them were clear up against the stage, couldn't get close up to the stage for the curtain to open. There's Sandy Patty. And the crowd was, and, and people weren't even part of that convention showed up for that. They pulled the crowd back. It was Sandy Patty in a cardboard cutout. I got flipped off. I got the bird. They F-bombed me. Oh, you would not believe what Christian kids can do when they're disappointed. I never heard such foul language from a public school as I did from a Christian event that day. It made me mad. Don't make me mad. I get out of control. I grabbed the mic. I walked up and said, well, now you know when you go to school how your friends feel when you say you're a Christian, they find out you're nothing but a cardboard cut out of one. You see, in today's world, cardboard cut out Christians can't cut them. They, they don't make it. They don't cut the mustard, as they say. You'll be put to a test you never dreamed. In Vietnam, I had to stand alone. There was not a living soul stood by me as they mocked me for my relationship with my bride, my wife. I was 16 years old when I asked her to marry me. She was 13. She slapped me. She did. She said, I'm only 13. I said, but you have the body of a 14-year-old. She slapped me again. True story. When I went to Vietnam, the last thing I said to her is, I said, I'll be back without a scar. Eight months later, my body would be scarred beyond repair for the rest of my normal life on this planet. And because I knew I had a broken promise to her, I did not want to come home. And her or anyone else, I didn't want anybody to ever see what was left. That grenade blew off. Everything not covered. If it's covered, it grew back through granulation. There was enough skin particles left to grow back. If it's not covered, it was gone. It was charred, turned to charcoal. You could break off. It broke off part of my nose, broke off my ear, broke off. I had no hair left. I got my hair back. I bought it. <laughs> There's a bald guy in China. <laughs> I hope he's from Wuhan. <laughs> it, blew, it blew my ear off. Five years, six years ago now, I went from operation number 50 through 55. I've had 62 surgeries. Operation 50 through 55 was all right here. From my neck up, they rebuilt my entire face. They actually offered me the face of a cadaver, and they had a picture of him. He's uglier than me before I was burned. <laughs> People say, what happened to your face? I looked at that and said, what happened to his mother? <laughs> you know you're ugly when you're born. They slap her. So they rebuilt. I now I have a nose. Isn't it nice? It's a boy. And I have eyelids, I got lips, and they release my neck so I can turn my head now. I can tell you something. That day in Vietnam, no one had to tell me it was bad because I looked down, my face was on my boots. I looked closer, I could see my heart beating. I knew I wasn't dead because I could see a heartbeat, and then it caused sprays of blood like flags out of an artery severed by shrapnel. I could jump off that boat, which I did, into the water, but phosphorus burns in water would not extinguish it. I got, I'm going to share a lot more of the details tonight, but I want to get to the point. At that moment, when the heat is on, quite literally in my case, 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit of white phosphorus, when the heat's on, you're going to find out if you're cardboard or you're real. There's no, well, I wonder what the outcome, oh, no, I, knew, I thought I was actually dead until I saw my heartbeat because I've never been dead. I don't know what dead is. Have you been dead? Tell me what dead is. I don't know what dead is. I literally didn't. Uh, the Bible says be absent from the body. He's present with the Lord, but the presence of the Lord covers the face of the earth. So was I present there with the Lord seeing all this happen? And uh, Was I dead? I didn't know, but the, the Bible that Beth Ann kept referring back to, on a bended knee with the word of God, you'll find yourself. The word of God says we are kept by the word. How does that play out? 
that day when people said to me, what was the first thing through your mind when that hand grenade exploded? I said, shrapnel. <laughs> that took a second, but some of you got it. Some of you are still saying, what? The first thing through my mind was the word of God. I learned it as a boy. I was born to a mom that couldn't even hold me and feed me. I was raised by a Mexican nanny, a godly woman from Matamoros, Mexico. My first language was Spanish. I learned English when I was six years old, so I'd go to school, and at six years old, they told me I was not a Mexican. <laughs> that blew my Latino mind. I thought I was, don't tell me I'm not what I thought I was. It blew what was left of my mind at six years old. And on the bank of a river, with my mind, I discovered, do I serve the law of God? That's what Paul wrote. With our mind, not with our feet, hands, or face. With my mind, do I serve the law of God? That's why I'm bending knee and open scripture. You put the word of God in, and when the heat's on, the word of God comes to life. Come on, give it up. Give it up for Jesus today. The word, capital W, word of God. That's why the Bible's a living, breathing document. That's why if you have Christ in you, you're not a cardboard cutout. You're the real deal. The army put out a CD on me. Thousands, tens of thousands of CDs were distributed all over the Middle East, to all branches of the military of my story. You know what they called it? The real deal. Not because of who I am, but because of whose I am. I belong to Jesus. Folks, please get this straight. I'm a mutilated, broken human being. I am no better than anybody in this room. I'm not better than you. Anything good in me can only be found in the Christ in whom I am and who is in me. It's only Jesus if there's anything good. I'm a miserable failure without Christ. But with him, I can do all things. We can have 300,000 students in our online university, Global Reap University. We can have 40 countries and over a dozen languages. Not because of me. Not because of Dan and his brilliance and all that he is. It's Christ in us, our hope of glory. I remember when I came home from my first semester of college, I'm remembering this because I shared it last night at the table. But I remember coming home from my first semester of college, and let me tell you, a first semester freshman is dangerous. <laughs> they know everything. And if you want to know, ask them, and sometimes you don't even have to ask. They'll just tell you. So I knew when I came home after studying one semester of philosophy, Huxley, Herman Hess, Socrates, these are great guys, but they didn't know the answer of all questions. What is life? And I came home and I said to my mom and she sat in her wheelchair and on a good day she tried to fix me breakfast. I was home for a few days and she wanted to fix me breakfast. In her wheelchair, she's reaching up trying, it wasn't a home for the handicapped. And she's trying to fix me breakfast, but I knew in her brain, she was quite brilliant. Valedictorian of high school, valedictorian of college. Her dad sat on the Supreme Court of the great state of Arkansas, raised in a home of education and money. And I knew that she was brilliant, but she didn't know more than those philosophers. I did. I knew the question to ask that she could not answer. I said, Mom, and my chin cocked at the perfect 45-degree angle. Mom, what is life? She said, the absence of death. Do you want salt and pepper on these eggs? <laughs> Mom! What else can you say but, Mom? She was right. Life is the, death is the absence of life. Now, she said, what is life? I said, the absence of death. She said, no, the absence of Christ whom to know is life. See, if you don't know Jesus, you can have a living soul in a living body, but you're dead spiritually. You're a cardboard cutout. See, the Bible tells us in John that those that are hungering and thirsting after righteousness shall be filled. But listen to what the scripture says. For as many as, what is it, John 1, 12? 
For as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. If they believed on his name, they had power to become. Say power to become. Now I'm going to take you on a quick journey. Listen to every word carefully so you understand. We have the power to become the sons of God when we believe in his name. What does his name mean? Jesus, the Savior of his people. Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah. So Jesus Christ means the anointed Savior of his people. You believe in that name, you have power to become the sons of God. That's wonderful. Give the Lord a clap for me. Go ahead. That's great. There's one little issue that goes along with that, besides probably time, which I'm sure I'm running out of. There's one little problem with that. Power to become is like going down here to Memphis Airport and say, I want to buy a ticket to Dallas-Fort Worth. They say, okay. They issue me a ticket. I give them the money. They say, welcome aboard. I say, what do you mean? They say, welcome aboard. I said, no, no, I'm in Dallas. No, sir, you have a ticket to go to Dallas, but you're in Memphis. No, no, no. I have power to become. I am in Dallas. No, sir, you're insane. See, when Jesus died for us and we believe that, we believe in the name of Jesus, we have power to become the sons of God. That means you have become a child of God. Oh, please pay close attention. You see, there's a problem with becoming Christians. There's a lot of becoming Christians. I meet them all over the world. People who sat for decades in churches thinking they're born again, they're cardboard cutouts because they harbor in their heart unforgiveness and hatred toward other people. And if you cannot forgive those who sin against you, you cannot have your sins forgiven for the sins you committed against Christ. Are we still friends? Are you sure you want to come back tonight? Are you sure you want me back this time? Because I'm going to tell you something, friends. It gets real personal real quick right here. If you're a becoming Christian, you're not a Christian. How do you be what he gave you the power to become? Listen to this. Same exact preamble to the words. For as many as. How many is that? No more and no less, but exactly as many as believed in his spirit, received his spirit. They are the sons of God. So let me illustrate this where I think you can get it. You ever heard of the Indy 500 race? Say yes, raise your hand. I'm not talking to the ignorant. Indy 500. What allows you to race in that race? They call it the, pre, the preliminary race, the race where you qualify. It's the qualifying race. It takes place the day before. Who's your competition? Zero. You run that race totally alone. You have a clock time you have to beat. If you can't beat that clock time, you don't get to run in that big race. So you can beat the clock time, and it doesn't really matter if you're first, last. If you get in the race, who cares if you're first, last? Let's get in the race. You're qualified to run that race when you finish that qualifying, but you haven't run the race yet. Are you, are you with me? Say amen. amen. Then the day comes the next day when you get to race in the race. That is the run for the money. That's the world we're in right now. We're in that race, the human race. And the race, the Bible compares it to a race. So let me go back now and give you an idea in words that can formulate you, help you formulate who you are in Christ and what it means to be born again. And when the heat's on, you won't, you won't crash and burn. Think about every word I'm about to say. The life Jesus lived, stop right there. What kind of life was it? Sinful? No, perfect. So the life Jesus lived, the perfect life Jesus lived, qualified him for the death he died. We talked about that. Before the world was ever created, from the foundation of the world, Jesus was set aside to be a sacrifice for sin, and man had not even been created yet. God chose his son to die for the people that were not created yet, who had not sinned yet because they were not yet created. But when they were created, they did sin already. There was a sacrifice set aside. The life Jesus lived qualified him because he had never sinned. If he had sinned, he would have died for his own sins. Let that soak in, folks. 
If Jesus died, sinned, he would have died for his own sin. The life he lived qualified him for the death he died, that vicarious death. Instead of us dying for our sin, he was the only, only person in all of the human race and all of deity that could die for us was Jesus because he had never sinned. So the life he lived qualified for the death he died. That means we are qualified for the race, but we haven't run it yet. Now listen to the converse of that. Are you ready? The death Jesus died. What death was that? We already said vicarious, perfect, qualifying us. The death Jesus died qualified me. Are you ready? For the life he lived. What was that life? Perfect. So the death he died qualified him for the life. The life he lived qualified him for the death he died. Say it with me. The life Jesus lived qualified him for the death he died. The death Jesus died qualifies me for the life Jesus lived. Qualified isn't the race. That means you got the ticket. But my question is, do you have the boarding pass, and are you on board that airplane? I believe in the aerodynamics airplanes can fly. Sure. Have you ever flown on one? Have you ever sat at 30,000 feet looking out the window at a wing filled with rivets placed there by the lowest bidder? <laughs> hmm, that's a nervous laugh, especially if it's a 737 MAX boy. <laughs> Oh, we won't go down that road. So it's one thing to say, yes, I believe in the life that the death Jesus died for me. It's another thing to have the spirit of Jesus Christ in you because you received him. And if you have the spirit of Christ, you're led by the spirit. You are what you had power to become. You are not a cardboard cutout. You're a born again, son of God, child of God, daughter of God, devil kicking fear of all time of the devil, you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Give it up for the Lord. Woo! Mm. So in the last five minutes, what is your point, Dave Reaver? You've gone to a lot of trouble there. Well, there's a story of a kite. And the kite and the little boy had a personal relationship. They were friends. And the kite said, I want to go fly today. And the little boy said, I want to go take you and fly. And so he took it out, and the wind was blowing, and he had his string rolled up on a stick, and he cast the flight, the kite up, and it started to fly, and the string started spinning that stick as the, as the line was being paid out, and thunk, he stopped it. And the kite said, I want to go higher. So he let some more of the string out, and the kite went higher, and he stopped. And the kite said, no, 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 I want to go higher. So he let it out, and then suddenly... There was no more string. And the kite said, I want to go higher. And the little boy said, there's no more string. You can't go higher. I want to go higher, the kite said. Cut the string. So the little boy cut the string. I ask you, do you know the end of the story? Did this kite go higher? What's your answer? What happened to the kite? Did it go higher? No. It came down and got its tail caught in a power line. And everybody went by saying, oh, poor little kite. Poor little boy. There's a kite with his tail caught in a high line. You see, the disappointment is this. We are going to live under a law. It doesn't matter how much you want to be free. I'm independent. I'll do what I want. I'll be what I want. Don't tell me how to live my life. Larry Mahoney tried that. 1984, Larry Mahoney killed 27 kids on a, well, 23 kids and, or 24 kids and three adults on a school bus injured dozens more, drinking and driving, May 1984. He killed all those people because nobody's going to tell him how to live his life. And twice the legal drinking limit, he killed those people. See, the problem is the law that he ignored, he would be judged by. You're going to live under the law of sin and death or the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus. But you... And I will live under the confines of a law. The law of sin and death was written on tablets of stone and were broken before they could ever be delivered to the people. You know the story. Moses came down and he broke the tablet that carried the law because of his frustration. See, 
there's a law that is of sin and death that says if you kill, you'll be killed. Don't hate your neighbor. Don't hate, don't love your neighbor's wife. Don't lust. Don't all the Ten Commandments, not suggestions, Ten Commandments. You break one, you die. But then came along Jesus and said, we're going to do away with that law. We're going to give you the law of the spirit of life, which is in him. Where is that law written? Not on tables of tablets of stone, unless you have a heart of stone. It's written on the heart. That means heart means soul. Soul means conscience. That's what makes you different, me different from an ape. That's what makes us different from a plant. The plant life has life, but it doesn't have a soul. A dog has a soul, but not a spirit. Humanity has life in the physical, in the emotional, and in the spiritual. And whenever we are born again, we have that spirit of life, and the law of the spirit of life is written in our heart. You can't find in the word of God where it says, thou shalt not stick thy head in garbage cans. But I don't think we want to go sticking our head in garbage cans, do we? We're not dumpster divers. I'm going to tell you right now, we're children of the Most High God. We live in a different planet, even though it's called Earth. We live in a different world on this planet. We're citizens of another country and of another city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We may be citizens of the United States of America, but I'm going to tell you something, folks. I got a higher calling than just being an American. I'm proud to be an American. I got the scars to prove it. Don't ever challenge my faith and love for my country. But I can tell you, this country could go to hell in a handbasket. I'm not going to go to hell with it. I'm going to heaven. I have a city and a home. That's <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm going to do everything I can for my country to salvage it before it's too late. All that said to get to the end. The law that holds us down, that string, don't cut that string. Don't cut that tether to the Almighty. I got to be free. Oh, my friend, I was created to be dependent, not independent. I was created to be dependent on the Son of God. If I cut that cord of the law of the Spirit of life, I will be brought down to death. So the thing that holds me down is the thing that holds me up. The thing that holds you back from just doing whatever feels good is the thing that will hold you up from self-destruction. I remember the day I looked in the mirror. They held it over my face in Japan, and I saw what was left. I shared this last time I was here with you, and I'll share it again tonight more than likely. I saw with my good eye I could see what was left. This side swollen my shoulder, this side skull, not to mention the damage to the rest of my body. I lost my hope that day. And the gentleman that prayed, I, he has no idea what that prayer meant to me. Sir, I can't see you out there very well, but you're in this audience. Sir, thank you for being led by the Spirit because your prayer affirmed and confirmed what I wanted to say to you today. Don't lose your hope. He used that word two times, I think, in his prayer. Hope is in Christ. My hope is in Jesus. And I lost my hope. I didn't want anybody to see me. It has so scarred my memory to this day. I'm still very insecure and unstable about personal appearance. And it's tough for Beth Ann. As a doctor, she has so much to deal with. She married a, a mess. She didn't know what she's getting into, I can tell you that. And it hurts. It hurts me to realize the damage I've brought to myself because I don't know how to accept me. So I'm not sitting up here thinking I'm some righteous, holy guru that tells you how you have to live. I'm quoting scripture to you. I'm giving you evidence from the word of God. If it works for me, it'll work for you. And when the heat's on, you won't crash and burn. You won't be a cardboard cutout. You'll stand and everything around you falls. You'll still stand. So I lost my hope. And when I lost my hope, I tried to kill myself. Please get some new carpet. <laughs> this old carpet's killing me. You see, when you lose your hope, you'll find a way to die. And I've said this many times, 
There's a thousand ways to die, but there's only one way to live. And some of you picked up on what Beth was saying. She's trying to say to you, don't quit. Human, humans are good. They're brotherly love. It's called phileo, brotherly love. The city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, named after the word phileo, which means brotherly love. We try to encourage one another. We confess our faults to one another. We confess our sins to Jesus. And when you become born again, you'll find that he is in you, not just there occasionally. He goes, you never go, well, get Jesus and don't leave home without him. And so I went to war. I took Jesus with me. And in the midst of all the chaos and the fog of war, I never lost my hope. On the bank of that river on fire, looking down, seeing my own face on the boots, I didn't lose my hope. When I looked in the mirror that day in Japan, as they held it over my face, I saw what was left. I said, I can never let anyone see the monster I have become. And I knew they would never open my casket. I couldn't take the risk on living. Oh, God, did you hear what I just said? Do you ever feel like you can't take the risk on living? Today, I hope every one of you can fathom the depth my soul is trying to deliver this message to you. Suicide is not the solution. Losing hope is not going to help. It's going to destroy you. Don't give suicide a second thought. It'll kill you. There's only one way to get your hope back, and that's get Jesus back. Mom was right. Death is the absence of Christ. Whom to know is life, and my life is my hope in Jesus. And I lost that hope that day, and I tried to take my life. I pulled the tube out, and I laid my head back and waited to die. There was no, they left with the mirror. And I was alone in that room, in that bed that constantly had me feet up, feet down, so that I didn't get pneumonia with fluid settling in my lungs. And I don't remember when I pulled the tube. I may have been probably more likely head down. I was so discouraged. I pulled the tube. I laid my head back and waited to die. And I got hungry. <laughs> don't get hungry when you're killing yourself. I pulled the wrong tube. I pulled out lunch. And boy, am I glad I would never would have never would have met you folks today. And what I still feel at the end of this message was true at the beginning. I'm on a divine mission. You're on a divine mission. We're on a divine rendezvous. Somebody's soul is at stake in this room. For God's sake, don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on God. You have no idea what it takes for me to dig into my soul to deliver to you what I'm saying to you. This doesn't come easy. No amount of practice can make this perfect. Nothing can make perfect what is so born out of hell. Self-hatred, self-denial doesn't come easy. But yet, if I can make it, you can make it. Jesus. You're in this room. Your spirit is more than enough to fill every empty vessel and heal every broken heart. Your spirit is enough to give us hope that becoming a Christian is not good enough, but being the Christian you gave us power to become is, and we can't have that without your spirit. We can't be born again without that spirit of Christ in us. Oh, Jesus. Lord Jesus, if someone has been fearless enough to take me at my word, and are willing to say, Jesus, come into my life, it's not enough to know about you. I want to know you.
then I pray, Jesus, you'll give them the courage to act upon that new step of faith, to know more than just the way they want to know the truth. And now, having heard the truth, they're willing to say, I want the life. I want the life of Christ. I want him to live his life in me. His death qualified me for that life. Now I want that life. Let it be, Lord, because that day in the hospital when that precious black lady came into my room and laid hands on me, a broken white boy that didn't know up from down, so lost. And she prayed over me and your spirit leaped and breathed hope back into my broken, broken life. I've never been the same since. I'm just here today to return that favor, Lord. While your heads are bowed, I don't normally do this in churches. In church, you expect everybody to know Christ. Christians don't go to drunken bars and party all night because that's not where we belong and a lot of sinners don't go to church because they don't feel like they're welcome here. But today in this church, you were welcomed. You've been received. You're being loved on in every way this church was out love on you. You got no excuse. So I simply want to ask you a question. If today there's been clarity brought, I hope I've clarified some things. I've made it more difficult for you to understand. And you're willing to say, Dave, I've been a cardboard cutout for years or for however long. Dave, I want the real thing. I want to be what he gave me power to become, a son of God, a child of God, a daughter of the Most High. And you're willing to say, Dave, I trust you in that you'll keep this between you and me and not embarrass me in front of everybody. But just by raising your hand, would you say to me, Dave, I'm not happy to be a cardboard cutout. I want Jesus in my life. If that's you today, would you raise your hand all over this room? Let me just see who I'm talking to. Sip it up right now. Yes, sir. Yes? Who else? Slip your hand up. Please don't be afraid. I'm not going to embarrass you. Dave, I want Jesus in my life today. Wow. Wow. Okay, you can raise your heads. I want to make sure you knew that I'd keep my word. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to pray this prayer with me. I normally bring people forward in crusades. Because most everybody there comes don't know Christ, but it's really difficult in a church to do that. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you pray a simple prayer with me? Everybody in the house, if you know the Lord, then simply renew your vows. We do that in marriage vows. Why not do that? Let's renew our vows. But if you want to make your vows for your first time or maybe renew them because you've slipped away from those vows, Pray the same prayer, and let's make this right with God right now. Are you ready? Out loud, heads up, eyes wide open, no fear. Lord Jesus, I believe you're in the house. I trust you with my soul, with my body, this temple of the Holy Ghost, this sanctuary of the Most High. I invite you to sit down on the throne of my heart. Remove me and all my flesh as I surrender all. And I ask you to become my spirit, my life, my hope. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Now living your life in me from this day forward. Thank you for giving yourself for me. Then giving yourself to me. And I receive you now. And I am what I had power to be. I am a child of God. I'm a Jesus chaser. I'm a child of the Almighty. I'm born again. Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering in the house today. Amen. The story ends this way. I lived. <laughs> I lived. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I want to give credit to.
to a man that's already dead and gone, but he was a mentor to me out of England that I never laid eyes on other than pictures. But he and I communicated through emails for years. His name was Major Ian Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S, I-A-N, Major Ian Thomas. I'll say that clearly so you can look him up online. He was the greatest New Testament preacher I've ever heard in my life. He was my New Testament mentor. My ministry mentor was a man that's also gone who served on my board, but from the time I was 12 years old, Laurel Akers, A-K-E-R-S. Laurel Akers was my mentor from the time I was 12 until he passed away serving on my executive board of directors. A never-ending constant friend was there with my wife whenever I was brought back from the war, and he was, to the day he died, a strong influence. So along with my father and my dad, who was so impactful in my life beyond anything could ever be mentioned, there's not enough words. I'm not here because of anything I've done who's poured into my life and the life that Jesus qualified me to live through his death. Thank you for letting me share my heart with you this morning.